Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, where I've been doing a lot of uh, takeovers. So I have uh, current volunteers who are serving the Peace Corps taking over my Instagram stories and sharing some of their service. So it's another way that I am trying to share Peace Corps stories. Uh, so if you are on Instagram, be sure to follow me and look out for those stories over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. Other ways to connect with me on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story and as always over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. Now, I have a few questions for you. Are you a current or returned Peace Corps volunteer? Have you found value in this show? Do you enjoy listening to it? Is this your second, third, fourth? Uh, Maybe you've listened to all 100 episodes. Yes, I have done 100 episodes. Well, I want you to take a moment and please share this podcast with other volunteers, uh, return Peace Corps volunteer groups, groups uh, of your, your training group, and tell people, one, listen to this podcast, but actually more importantly, if they want to come on the show and share their story, please reach out to me. I need people to interview to be able to do this show. Yes, I'm begging you. Please, please, please share this podcast and encourage people to come on and tell their story. Like the excellent story I have for you guys this week from Megan Bordy, who served in St. Lucia from 1999 to 2001. This is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Megan, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks, Tyler. How are you? Doing well and excited to talk to you about your service uh, in St. Lucia because I know that a lot of people, when they think of Peace Corps service, they, they maybe hope to to be on an island country, you know, uh, in the Caribbean. And then sometimes also those people that did serve, like myself in a landlocked West African country, tend to have this kind of negative connotation and think that, oh, you guys served in Poshkor. It must have been all coconuts and white sandy beaches. Uh, but as I've talked to volunteers, I definitely know that that is not the case. Uh, we all have our common uh, struggles, highs and lows. And uh, just because you served on an island nation uh, doesn't mean that uh, your service uh, uh, was was easier. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your unique experience and, and what you were doing there as a volunteer. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. I'm excited to share my story. And I'm glad to hear you say that right now at the beginning of the episode, because we we often also heard, you know, as we were going through our service that, you know, the Peace Corps in the islands or in St. Lucia, oh, it must be it's the Beach Corps. And we just couldn't stand that because it was far from that. You know, as you mentioned, we went through a lot of the same challenges, be it, you know, psychologically or or materially or whatever, Um that all other volunteers went through. So I had an amazing experience though, and I'm excited to share that with you. 
Mm-hmm. And just to start at the very beginning, what was your initial reason for joining the Peace Corps? So I joined the Peace Corps. I actually learned about the Peace Corps from my my mother's husband at the time. Um, he had been in the Peace Corps in Kenya, actually. And so, and my mother actually moved to Kenya. Um, this was when I had just gone away to college. So my first year in college, he went off to the Peace Corps and she moved over there um, for a year. And so I learned a lot about his experience and he encouraged me to do it. And I wasn't so sure, to be honest. Um, but during college, I had the opportunity to travel to Morocco. And aside from going to Mexico a lot as a little girl with my family, you know, that was my first real, you know, cross-cultural experience in a country with a culture that was so entirely different from my own. And I was absolutely fascinated by it. I, I loved just experiencing, you know, what another culture had to offer and their customs and their food and everything about it. And I thought maybe the Peace Corps could be a good option for me to really not just go on vacation and visit a place, but to really live in and experience another culture and be able to help and do something quite valuable at the same time. So I decided to join after straight after college is when I went into the Peace Corps. Okay. And where exactly did you serve and what were you doing? So I served in St. Lucia, which is an island in the Eastern Caribbean. So it's quite far south, actually, um, just north of Martinique. Um, and it was my group, uh, and I served in 1999 to 2001. My group, which was EC66, was um, about 50 volunteers serving on five different islands. So we were on St. Lucia, St. Vincent, Grenada, Antigua, and Dominica. So when we had conferences and whatnot, we all sort of got together on the same island. Peace Corps would sort of select one of the islands. But um, St. Lucia was one of the main ones, I would say, with the most volunteers. I think there were about 15 of us. Um, So I was placed in St. Lucia, and I was working in youth development. So my role was I was assigned to work with the Ministry of Education, and I was actually assigned to a a primary school called Grand Rivier. And I worked with um, students about ages 12 to 15 years old. And these students were unable to basically go on to secondary school. So in St. Lucia, um, the education system is is, you know, there's a lot of problems with the education system. It's based on, you know, they have a lot of standardized tests and exams that the students have to pass to get into secondary school. But unfortunately, the system doesn't prepare them well for, often doesn't prepare them well for those exams. So there are a lot of students who leave school at the age of, you know, let's say 13, 14, 15. And so my role was to really help those students who had sort of failed the the exam and most likely weren't going to continue in school. And I worked with them a lot on, you know, getting their self-esteem back up, helping them believe in themselves. 
and really building their skills. So giving them marketable skills to help prepare them for the real world. So job training skills, for, for example, um, you know, how to fill out an application. Um, but I ended up also doing a lot of reading and writing with them. So a lot of basic reading and writing exercises, um, because that was one of the main issues is that they were a lot of them around a second or third grade, you know, reading and writing level. So I did a lot of that work as well, but I was placed in a school. So I worked with these children on, in small group, on a small group basis. And I worked a regular schedule. You know, I was at the school every day from, you know, during school hours. Um, and then of course I did a lot of, you know, I did some side projects, um, outside of that regular job per se, um, as many volunteers do. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and what were some of these side projects? Were these things that would be kind of one-off things, maybe a weekend impromptu or longer term or a mix of both? Well, I would say definitely one-off things. I mean, to be honest, because I was I had a role where I was in the school, you know, every day during the school week. I didn't do a lot. I did a little bit of um, tutoring outside of school hours during the week. But for the most part, some of the side projects were during the summertime because as I was a teacher, you know, working in a school system, we did have the summer off, which, you know, that was great. Definitely took advantage and traveled. You know, we went, we, we, I traveled a bit with some of the other Peace Corps volunteers. We went down to Venezuela actually one summer, but um, definitely did side projects as well during the summer. I actually did one um, that I'm, that was really wonderful and I was really proud of it. It was uh, basically organizing a summer camp at a boys training center. It was kind of like a, I would sort of call it like a juvenile hall for boys. So boys had been put there, they had gotten in trouble you know, and they're sent away to this place, which they don't do anything. I went there. The reason I got to know this this training center was because I had a student who was actually sent there. Um, and I was fairly close with this student. And I would bring his sister there every week to visit him because he got no visitors, his parents, nobody. And so I would bring her on the bus every week to go and visit her brother. And then I decided, gosh, these these children just sit around doing nothing. It's quite sad. I want to, you know, help and offer them something. So I put together this sort of summer camp. It was like a week long summer camp with different activities, um, you know, everything from sports. So we did soccer to um, other things. Like I actually had some friends visiting at the time and one of my best friends knew how to do tie dye. So we helped the kids to make tie-dye t-shirts. So, you know, there were different activities like that. And it really offered them, you know, not only something to do, but um, kind of structured activity and a bit of learning as well. So that was, that was one of them. That was a really great one. And aside from that, I did, you know, reading programs at the library, for example, was another one. Mm -hmm. uh, the, that one project uh, with, with the boys definitely sounds uh, very interesting and rewarding uh, just to to give them a sense of, of of structure and just interaction to their day. I, I could imagine sort of being sent off to this place and just 
kind of left there. It almost sounds a little bit like prison-like, but worse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it it really was, of course, it wasn't like a prison in that they weren't sort of cramped up in a tiny little room, but there was just nothing to do. I mean, they fed them there, but they didn't offer them anything, any any activities, nothing. And they were just meant to stay there for however long, you know, I don't, I don't know on average how long the children would need to stay there, but yeah, it was definitely rewarding. And I got to know some of the, the boys there and, you know, I was really close with that one, the one boy who I told you I would bring his sister there. And when I used to go there and visit him with the sister, I would also do some reading and writing classes, you know, tutoring with him while I went mm-hmm. there. Cause I wanted to kind of keep that going. So yeah, that was, it was, it was definitely very rewarding, um, project. Mm-hmm. And what did your site look like? What was, cause I, cause as I'm thinking of St. Lucia, I've never been there, but I know it's one of those stops on the, the cruise circuit. Uh, yeah. but, but, but what, what was your community like? Um, okay. So my community was it was where I lived it was called Corinth and it was about 20 minutes by bus north of the capital cities so I was in the north part of the island which was actually the part of the island that was much I would say more developed um, than the south and you know like I said I was quite close to the capital so I had a lot of things easily accessible to me um, my community was, I lived actually way up on a hill. Um, I lived in the downstairs of a quite a big house. There were actually some nice, bigger size houses um, where I lived in Corinth. And I lived in the downstairs. There was a family who lived in the upstairs of the house. So it was a separate entrance. So, you know, it's not like I lived with them. Um, but it was... I would say quite a a nice place. I had, um, you know, running water. We had, we all had running water and electricity. Although I will say it was not uncommon for the water to go out for days and days on end. Um, Even where I lived, which was, like I said, a bit more developed. So yeah, my community, you know, I had neighbors all around me in these other homes I instantly became friends with my neighbors. Actually, funny story is that we had to find our own housing. So we lived in homestays when we were in training. And then once we finished training, we were, you know, assigned to our communities. And Peace Corps sort of gave us uh, some suggestions. I remember it was literally like a little packet of information stapled together with You know, here are some homes we identified in your community. But I remember going to them and like not even being able to contact anyone there. You know, either no one would answer the phone or we couldn't find anyone. So to be quite honest, it wasn't the most useful. And we were responsible for finding our own housing. So I remember walking around with um, my fellow volunteer friend, Chris, literally just walking around an area like, okay, well, we could look for a house here. Maybe we'll just walk around and see what we find. And we're, cause we were both assigned to the same sort of area. So we're walking around and this guy stops on the side of the road, a local guy. And is like, 
you know, kind of like, what are you guys doing? Do you need help? You know, we were sort of in a remote area and he said, do you need help? And we said, oh, we're just looking for a place to live. And he just thought, he just thought that was crazy. Like, what do you mean? You know, who are you? And he offered to give us a ride down and help us. And sure enough, um, he, you know, suggested this house that happened to be next to his house, which actually became my home. So he knew that it was vacant and he helped me to get in touch with the owner of the home and negotiate with her and everything. So that was really wonderful and very helpful. And so I instantly became friends um, uh, with him and with that whole family who lived next door. They actually were, I would say, my closest friends uh, while I was there in the Peace Corps. Um, I actually kind of developed a relationship with with that guy. Um, but they really took care of me. They um, they fed me <laughs> a lot of good food, which I love. They, and they really watched out for me. So, yeah, I was very fortunate to to have a great community, I would say. Mm hmm. And what a what a unique way to find your home for two years. Uh, I couldn't even imagine being dropped off in my community and just I was like, who who wants to take me in? Where where is there a place? Yeah, it's, that was basically how it was. We said, how are we possibly going to just find a place to live? So, yeah, it all worked out. And um, actually, if I remember correctly. I think the place where my friend Chris ended up living, which was in my same neighborhood, was also recommended by, you know, that same guy who lived next door. I think he knew that that was vacant as well. So, th yeah, it, it definitely helped us <laughs> to kind of meet him on the road. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was good. And then my just to add quickly, my my um, school where I was assigned to was not too far away from Corinth. It was in Grand Rivier. I was able to walk there, so I would either walk or sometimes get a ride with someone who was going down the road. But I think it was about a thirty-minute walk um, to and you know each way um, over to Grand Rivier. So yeah, it was definitely doable as a walk, and I, I quite enjoyed the walk. I like the hot and humid weather, so I didn't really have an issue with walking in the heat. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely enjoy it as well. I hate the cold and would prefer it to be 100 degrees versus uh, 30. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the same way. I have no issues. And because I was living up on a hill, it was actually wonderful because while it was hot and humid, and of course we didn't have AC or anything, it was there was a nice breeze. And just being on a small island, you kind of always got that nice breeze. So it was never like completely stifling hot which which also helped especially for sleeping at night and so on mm -hmm. and now since this is the my peace corps story podcast you've been telling some of your stories uh, but are there any in particular that you just love retelling and i know it can be very hard to pick just one uh, once you uh, start thinking about them. So you can pick a few, but are there any memories in particular that you just love reflecting on? Um, yes, I mean, absolutely. Like you say, Tyler, it's uh, very difficult to pick just one. And I have so many memories and, um, you know, I have very 
wonderful memories with my fellow Peace Corps volunteers and also with, you know, with my local friends. Um, like I said, I made local friends very quickly and I've, I really felt ingrained in the culture. So I, I spent a lot of time with them, um, which was wonderful because it really helped me to learn about the culture even more by spending a lot of time with locals. And I just remember, you know, one of the things I loved was Christmas time, actually. And I worried a bit that, oh, maybe I will be homesick. It's Christmas. You know, here I am on this island. What are they going to do? But I loved it. And one thing that was immediately apparent was that Christmas was absolutely not about buying gifts and buying and giving and receiving gifts. I mean, even for the children, you know, not at all. It was much more about spending time with family and friends and really just enjoying the company. And I love that. And on Christmas, it was quite common to, you know, so families wouldn't spend the money on the gifts. They would rather spend it on, you know, making the house look nice to receive visitors or just buying the, the food and all the drinks to make sure there's enough drinks. Because on Christmas, you had to make sure you had enough food and drinks for everyone. And when I say everyone, the custom was to really drive around or walk around. I mean, depending where you where you lived. Um, and we called that kind of making around when we would, you know, drive around. I would drive around with my friends or whatever. We'd say, oh, let's go make a round. That's how they would call it. So we would go make a round and you would stop at different people's homes and just visit and just pop in and say hi and sit down. And of course, they would offer you a drink. They would offer you some food and you'd have a drink and maybe stay 20, 30 minutes and then move on to the next. Oh, let's go check so-and-so now. Um, and I just love that because you could literally spend a whole day just making around and going to say hi and having a few drinks. And then, of course, the <clears throat> the big meal um, Christmas meal was always spent, you know, back at home with the family and, you know, somebody would cook a big meal, um, not necessarily any like special food that was different from a normal Sunday meal. Sunday was always a big meal day as well. Um, but you know, just everyone home, everyone spending time together. And I thought that was really special, um, uh, just to, really see the value that they placed on friends and family, which is something that I loved about the St. Lucians and about the culture in general. So that was one of my, uh, my very fond memories. It was Christmas time for sure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then I would, so just sh shifting gears a bit, because like I said, it's too difficult to say just one, but the other time of year um, that I absolutely loved was carnival time. So carnival in St. Lucia is quite a big deal. And, you know, you might not hear of it internationally or whatever. Most people, of course, hear of Brazil carnival. Maybe people have heard of Trinidad and Tobago carnival. Um, maybe St. Lucian carnival isn't as big, but I, I've heard it's still growing and is quite a big deal there on the island um, and a real cultural affair as well. You know, not just 
a huge party. Okay, yes, it was a huge party, but it was much more than just a huge party. And it was, carnival lasted for weeks. So it, it kicked off and then it was like a few weeks and then it ended with the parade of the bands and everything. So one year, so after I had been in on the island for a year, um, so just starting to go into my second year of service, I had a lot of friends who were visiting from back home um, a couple of my best friends, actually. And um, my local friends said, oh, you have friends here. You must you guys must jump up in Carnival. And I said, oh, that's crazy. You know, I'm not going to jump up in Carnival. They said, why not? So as it turns out, we ended up jumping up in Carnival with my friends. And what that means is you really um, basically join a band. So you pay a, a small fee and you you join so you can choose which one you want to join. So I sort of asked around and you basically join a band. So you get this costume and then on the main two or two and a half days of the parade of the bands, which is kind of like the conclusion of carnival, you put on your costume and you go down with all the other people who've joined the band and you literally dance in the streets behind this huge semi truck that so the band is like on top of the truck and then they have like drinks like rum just flowing and you are behind the band and the truck that's going through the streets of the capital through the streets of castries winding around and around so it's this huge parade of the bands and there's just thousands of people and you are I was with my friends like in the carnival like just dancing all day and you know, having drinks of rum and eating food along the side. And there's people on the side of the streets, you know, on the sidewalks, like, you know, joining in and cheer cheering you on. But I mean, being in the carnival, you just feel like the vibe was just absolutely lively and positive and fun. And it was just really amazing. Um, we had so much fun. Uh, I can't say much more than that, but you know, it's so much a part of the culture. And another thing I want to add is like music is so ingrained in the culture in St. Lucia. It's a huge part of the culture and carnival obviously, you know, really brings that to life. A lot of what goes on the weeks before carnival is, all about like different competitions between different artists and different bands and so on. So ultimately getting to like the king and queen of carnival and which band has like the song that wins for the year and music is just such a huge part of the culture. And it's a lot of um, soca music. So soca music, I, how do I describe it? It's like really fast um Afro-Caribbean music. I don't know really how, how to describe it well, but I absolutely loved it. And actually, to this day, I listen to soca music, um, you know, on my, on my um, Spotify. I listen to soca while I'm running because it's like the best music to keep you going while you're in a long, a long run, um, in case anyone needs some recommendation. But it's great. It, it's a great time. So, yeah, Carnival definitely a a good time of year and a great way to feel uh again like really a part of 
of this culture. Mm -hmm. And when when you say that you, you paid this money and you had this costume, I'm assuming it was one of those lots of feathers, sequins, very little fabric kind of things? Yeah, so it's basically like a bathing suit with like, yeah, with sequins hanging down and then a big head thing, a big headdress thing. Actually, um, for those listening, if you want to see how it looked, I included a picture of me and my two best friends from home in the the photos that will be posted on the My Peace Core Story website. Um, so you can see how it looked if you're curious. <laughs> Excellent plug. I think pe- most people just listen to it and they don't realize that I always include photos from people's stories and often you can you know see the things that people are talking about. So thank you for reminding the listeners. And uh, I quickly just looked it up because I was curious because uh, I didn't know. Uh, but the pr- actual purpose of Carnival, because I know what Carnival is. I've, I've seen videos and photos and everything. Uh, but why? What? What is the the reason for this celebration? Oh gosh, um, do, do I'm you not know? actually. Sh- no, I'm not actually sure of the actual reason for the celebration. To be honest, uh, well, quickly uh, Wikipediaing it, it's uh, first line. Uh, Western Christian Greek Orthodox festival season that occurs in the liturgical season of Lent. And that's, yeah, so I guess it's it started off as very uh, Christian-oriented, but then it's, I guess it's sort of along the same lines of Mardi Gras-esque and then just this big uh, party and celebration in the springtime. Yep. Absolutely. And I know the time of year has changed a bit. They now do, they do the carnival in the summer uh in july which i think was purposeful in in such that they wanted they didn't want it to coincide with um with the carnival in trinidad which is a very big carnival as well so Mm -hmm. anyway yeah no i didn't know that so that's quite interesting that it started as sort of a christian thing yeah the island is is uh, quite catholic but yeah during carnival uh I wouldn't think of of that religion coming into play. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you, you've talked about a lot of positive experiences, things that you reflect fondly on. Is there anything that was difficult about your service or one of those uh, less than favorite memories? Yes, um, actually. And, it, you know, I would love to say, no, I didn't have any horrible experiences. And, um, actually the experience that I'm going to talk about was didn't even directly happen to me, but it was just as terrible for me. Um, and I will explain. So basically my, my mom was visiting, um, with her, with her husband at the time. And, um, they were visiting for a week or two weeks or whatever. And I was working, you know, during the day I was at school and they decided to go, you know, they had a car and they drove around the Island and went down to a small village called Labrie in the South and found a beautiful little sort of bed and breakfast type place to stay in right on the beach. And I remember her calling me and telling me, Oh, it's such a wonderful place. Um, it's so beautiful down here. You know, it's much, it's very different in the North and the South. Like I said, I lived in the North is more developed. I would say generally speaking, um, because it's closer to the capital is sort of 
the higher class of the island and Mm -hmm. down in the south, you know, definitely much more of a village life feel. So they were staying in one of these beautiful small villages. There was actually one or a few volunteers posted in that village. And, um, you know, my mom basically came back from this trip and told me, you won't believe what happened. And essentially during the night, um, she was woken up. Uh, she woke up during the night and felt something on her and, um, woke up and looked up and kind of saw somebody, a a silhouette and uh, right next to her, like literally like just standing above her. And she thought that it was her husband and, you know, she had just woken up and then she sort of quickly looked over and saw that her husband was sleeping next to her. And she looked back and realized that this was obviously not her husband. It was a, a man who had obviously somehow broken in and who had his pants down and was masturbating literally like on over her. And she, mm. yeah, yeah. She, from what she remembers, she screamed and the guy fled and fled quicker than her or her husband could get up out of bed, go out, grab the guy or whatever. I mean, he was, he was gone. Um, and you know, obviously this was terrifying for her and obviously they did go to the police, which nothing ever came of it. We actually spoke to the volunteer who was down there, who, um, the Peace Corps volunteer was pretty sure that she could guess who it was and believes that it was a man who lives in the village who's quite mentally ill. Um, But without much evidence or anything to go off of, you know, they couldn't do much about it. So, you know, this is obviously here I am living in St. Lucia, having this wonderful experience. And this happens to my mom while she's visiting. I mean, just this horrific experience. I mean, what bad luck. I just felt terrible that something like this could happen. And Mm -hmm. my mom is so resilient and so strong. And obviously it impacted her. However, she definitely didn't let it ruin the trip, fortunately. I mean, we still had a wonderful time while she was visiting, but it was pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, I can I can imagine. Uh, yeah, unfortunate that she had to go th- uh, through that, but good to hear that overall she had a, a good experience visiting you uh, in your country of service. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know things like that. I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think that things like that happen. Of course, things can happen anywhere. But you know, it's like. When you're when you're thinking, oh, I live in this wonderful island nation, and then something like that happens, it's quite, it's just, it's sad. It's so disturbing. But you know, it was a one-off, and fortunately, we moved on. So yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. Well, you've talked about the the holidays and cultural events and the things that you were were doing there, uh, but now being back in the United States. 
Is there anything in particular that you miss about your time in the Caribbean? Yeah, I mean, for sure, um, there are things I miss quite a lot. I mean, I... I won't say that there's one thing. I mean, sometimes I'll be going about my sort of daily life here in the U.S. and something will trigger a memory, whether it's like food. You know, if I see some food that's similar and I think, oh, I wish I could have that salt fish or whatever. So, yeah, there are a lot of things. I mean, starting with the food, the food was really good there. I mean, they had... uh, we would often go get this, they literally called it a local meal. <laughs> and the local meal was like everything. So could be anything from baked chicken, which always had a nice sauce, salt fish, um, which is like dried fish that's really salty, but they cook it really nice with green plantains and it's really good. Breadfruit and dashing, um, which are like kind of like a potato, you know, like a starchy, they're starches. Um, plantain, uh, macaroni, lots of good spices. I mean, the food was really nice. Um, on the weekend, we would often go down the road. I remember a particular place down at the corner by the bus stop in my community that had um, chicken and bakes. And we would, me and my friend Christina would often go down there on the weekend and pick up barbecued chicken and bakes and bring it up to my house and eat it on the porch. Um, a bake is essentially like a a fried bread thing that's not as sweet as a donut. It's more like bread than a donut, but it has mm-hmm. a little bit of sweet. It's so good. It's they're really good. And they were I think they were always fried. Sometimes I think they were not fried. But yeah, so chicken and bakes were really yummy. Um to, you know, fresh coconuts being sold out of a truck by the guy who was always on the same corner in the Capitol. Um, You know, I loved that. Mangoes fresh from the tree. I miss, like, the rum shops. Like, in St. Lucia, they had rum shops, which is essentially a bar, but you wouldn't even know it's a bar because it doesn't look like a bar because it literally just looks like a little shack on the side of the road. And they're everywhere, and they're just a rum shop. And you'd often see older gentlemen sitting outside on little tiny tables and chairs playing dominoes. Um, And, you know, we loved just popping in the rum shop and having a piton. Um, I remember one particular time with my friend Chris when the rum shop was closed, but it was quite easy for us to just go in and we kind of, we just went in ourselves, had a piton, (laughs) left some money and left. So, yeah, the rum shops, I mean, I miss, you know, being able to hitchhike and stand up in the back of a pickup truck riding across the island. That was wonderful. Um, Can't really do that here. And, you know, I mean, the just island life, like the slowness of it, um, it drove me crazy at times. But at the same time, it was really nice. Sometimes people would say, oh, you know, I'll be there. We're going to hang out today or whatever. And I'll be there just now. And just now literally could mean like half a day from now. So yeah, definitely felt the slowness of the island life. Um, And of course, I miss my students. Um, I had some really close 
friendships and relationships with some of my students. I had two boys, uh, Lennon and Kokoi, who I met right at the beginning, and they because they lived in Corinth in my community. And Lennon and Kokoi loved coming over, like all the time, like every day, and they would just hang out because no one paid attention to them at home. And, you know, they often didn't have good food or enough food at home. And they would come over and hang out and they loved to play on my laptop, but they also loved to cook me dinner. So they would often come over and miss, miss, we're, we're ready to cook. What do you have? So, you know, I would have chicken or whatever, and they would go in and like cook up this whole dinner. And they just would sit around on my porch and wait for me to come home sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I, I, I loved that. It sounds like it could get annoying. Um, but, you know, it was company for me. And and uh, I missed that. I missed the students and I missed the pe- people in general. I mean, like I said, I made some really close friendships uh, when I was there, not only with Peace Corps volunteers, but with locals. And I missed uh, those people and, you know, my neighbors who always watched out for me and, um, you know, the, the camaraderie amongst all of the Peace Corps volunteers and my neighbor, uh, Mr. White, they had a big porch in front of their house, like, a on the second floor of their home. It was like a big porch and Mr. White was the, you know, the dad of the house and he would always just be standing on the porch in his boxers, just standing there, <laughs> leaning, leaning on the side. That's it. Like all day. It was the funniest thing. And he was the sweetest man. And he, he would just wave, wave at me every day. And he took care of my garden. So in my garden, I had a papaya tree. I had banana trees and he took care of all that. So sometimes I would come home and there's Mr. White, like cutting the bananas. And, um, but he would just stand there and wave. And uh, he called my friend Titing, Titing, when she would come over. Yeah. Um, so I miss the people a lot. And um, I fortunately had the opportunity to go back um, not too long ago, but I waited many, many years. And I went back to St. Lucia twice in the past, I guess, in the past three or four years. I went once with some girlfriends. Actually, we decided to go on like a girl's trip there. So I took my friends there and uh, it was wonderful. I was able to, to, you know, they got to experience like my home. What was my home for two years? Um, so that was great. And I saw a lot of my old friends. Everyone was just the same. Everyone found me like immediately. The minute I got off the plane, like everyone <laughs> knew I was there. You know, it's a small island, remember. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, it was wonderful to have a chance to go back and see people. And I do keep in touch with a few people from there via text and WhatsApp and so on. But yeah, most of all, you know, I became a part of a community. Um, I felt like I was a part of this community in St. Lucia and in Corinth and that is often hard to find here in the U.S., really feeling a part of a community. So, you know, St. Lucia was my home for two years and I missed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have, have struggled with that, that 
feeling of a, a lack of cohesive community uh, being back in the United States and trying to find ways to to recreate it, but it it was definitely a, a lot easier uh, I feel in Peace Corps and the the sense of time too and the the lack of urgency I know it drove me absolutely crazy while I was a volunteer <laughs> and the the sort of the same thing I was like oh I'm almost there I'm almost to your house and they would show up three or four hours later drove yeah. me drove me <laughs> up the wall uh, but now I would give anything uh, for that pace of life yeah absolutely well what in what ways has Peace Corps changed you or did it change you? Did it sort of uh, reorient your your career goals and what you wanted to do? I mean, it's been 20 years since your service. Uh, what have you been doing and how has Peace Corps continued to impact your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, yeah, great question. And it has absolutely changed me. I mean, first of all, you know, I was pretty young going into the Peace Corps. I mean, straight out of school, you know, had never had professional work experience. And I think that it made me like somehow grow up faster. I mean, it sounds even weird to say that, but you're thrown into this environment in another culture. You it's not so structured. I mean, yes, you know, you get a job, let's say, or they put you in this sort of function or this role, but you're just sort of thrown into it and you have to make it what you want it to be. You have to make something of it. And, and if you don't, you can end up just sitting around for two years. Or if you don't, you end up quitting because no one's going to do it for you in the Peace Corps. So in that way, I learned valuable leadership skills, leadership skills. I mean, taking initiative, entrepreneurial skills. I mean, like I didn't talk about it, but I set up this job training program for for my students, which was essentially like two one week internships, you know, on the job internships. And I created that because I thought that would be a good idea. So I had to go out to the businesses and say, you know, go to them with this proposal of, you know, do you want to get involved with this? Would you want a student working here for free for a week or two weeks or whatever? So, you know, those are all entrepreneurial skills that that are valuable and that I've taken with me throughout my life. Um, Cross-cultural communication. I mean, that's another one, just learning how to work with and, and, uh, you know, deal with people from other cultures, which are very different from your own and which you might not agree with all of their cultural norms or their values, but you learn to accept things and become tolerant of things and learn how to communicate cross-culturally in a way that's really valuable. And that has helped me throughout life and is now actually one of my passions is to work uh, and communicate cross-culturally and be around other cultures. I absolutely love it because I love learning from them. So, you know, there are all of those things. And uh, I think that a lot of things that one might learn in the Peace Corps, at least for me, you don't realize it until way, way later. Um, You don't realize what you learned, but actually things come up and you learn how to deal with life's challenges um, 
in a way that you might not otherwise have known before the Peace Corps. And in terms of, you know, what I'm doing now and how it's shaped me. So I actually went into um, advertising and marketing roles. So I studied communications in school. And um, when I came back, I actually went to Honduras and I did another volunteer program for a year after the Peace Corps. It wasn't with the Peace Corps, but it was similar. I did education and lived in Honduras in a small village um, for another year. So I spent, you know, quite a few years abroad. Um, but I came back and I sort of went into what I had studied, which was communications. And uh, essentially, I have been working in that for ever since, really, uh, in in marketing, traditional marketing brand management roles in the private sector. Um, and I went back to business school in between, and I was very involved in the International Development Club and the Social Enterprise Program. And I knew going into business school that I wanted to be able to leverage my Peace Corps experience and work in some sort of development capacity. But to date, that that did not happen yet. But I just had the opportunity to take some time off from my career. I took about eight months and I went traveling around the world, um, which was absolutely amazing. Um, I went everywhere from South and through South America to South Africa, over to Asia, to Nepal and Myanmar and eventually to New Zealand. But I spent eight months, you know, by myself. Well, I met a lot of people on the way, but traveling around and um, had some time to sort of, I, I guess, you know, clear my my mind. And as I've come back, I'm very excited that I've made the decision that I'm going to get back into international development. So I'm really excited about that. Like, I want to make this career shift and and really work in that capacity. I mean, being abroad again just made me realize how much I love living abroad, um, working, like I said, working cross-culturally, and I want to be able to help other cultures. So I'm looking to get back into development work and, of course, leveraging all the experience that I have you know, from the private sector and from working in marketing communications roles. So, yeah, I mean, Peace Corps is something that has definitely stayed with me. And, um, you know, whether it's there, you know, quote, with me every day, certainly wasn't the case over the years. But um, it's kind of come back now as a bigger part of my life. And I'm very excited about this sort of shift in, in my life, um, to bring Peace Corps, you know, even closer to me again. So yeah, that's, that's where I am now. Well, I wish you the best as you make this, uh, career transition. It sounds, uh, very, very exciting and sort of coming full circle and getting back into international development. And yeah, sometimes it takes, takes a little time, uh, after you come back from Peace Corps to realize, uh, those things that were important to you and trying to figure out how can I bring those back into my life and how can I maybe make this a career rather than just something that, uh, you know, you save up that vacation time and two, three weeks out of the year, you travel abroad, but how can you actually stay abroad and make it part of your career and do something that's meaningful? So uh, definitely wish you the best as you make this uh, transition. Uh, 
it's been a a pleasure uh, talking with you, learning about your service. Uh, to close out the show, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share? Yes, I do. I have a couple actually, and so they're not really sayings. It's more just words, um, but um, I will uh, tell you what they are. So the first one is like. It's just lime. So to lime or a lime. So lime can be like a noun or a verb, which is quite funny. And it literally just means like to hang out or a get together. So, for example, you could say like, you know, hey, do you want to go on a lime this weekend? And it's just like, do you want to go and like do something and hang out? You know, often I would go on a Sunday lime with my friends and we would go to the beach or maybe out in a boat or something like that. But it's just so funny and it's used so much. And it literally just means to hang out, which is so appropriate because people spend so much time just hanging around, you know? So it always felt so appropriate. Um, So yeah, we did a lot of liming in St. Lucia. And the second one is Irie. So Irie is just maybe one that some people listening or you, Tyler, have heard, um, heard already because I think you know it's maybe can be common in some other Caribbean islands but it's really just a positive word meaning like cool or good something positive and nice and it's used constantly like oh yeah that's Irie Irie man you know and then um another one is just awa 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 which is literally just means like no 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 awa awa and it's uh very common to hear that as well And then the last one is like in St. Lucia, the people have this thing they do with their like sucking their teeth. Like, I don't know if you can hear that, but like sucking their teeth and then they'll say Isa love, like, which is kind of a swear word. And that was always quite common as well. So, yeah, those are just a few little St. Lucia isms that were very common and will always make me remember my friends and the people. <laughs> well, those are absolutely perfect. Uh, it has been Irie uh, spending time yes. talking with you. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing a little bit about your service. Yeah, thank you so much, Tyler. It was really great to be able to talk about my experience in St. Lucia. It was such a wonderful one. And, um, you know, uh, I love to bring bring some of those memories back. And, um, I would encourage anyone listening to who's considering the Peace Corps. Um, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to sort of change your life. And, uh, the last thing I just want to say, which I meant to share earlier was that I would also encourage people to not go into the Peace Corps thinking they will be able to change the world or change everything in the country of service. Because like we've talked about on this on today, you know, things move slowly and it's often hard to make changes. So don't think that Peace Corps is about like saving that country. But from my perspective, I was able to make a difference. Like even that small one week, you know, summer camp that I led or the job training program, like small things like that had an impact on the students. And 
I think it's better to look at it that way. Being able to make small changes is really having a big impact. So you can do that. And I would encourage you all to, to look into the Peace Corps. And um, it's a great experience. So, yeah. Thank you again, Tyler. It's been great um, sharing my experience. And thank you. And there you have it, another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. Thank you for spending some time with me and Megan and listening to her story about her service in St. Lucia. As I said at the beginning, if you have a story to tell or if you're in a group of current or returned Peace Corps volunteers, please encourage people to come on this show and tell their story. I'm begging you. I'm pleading. Please help me out help me out. Uh, But really, uh, thank you guys for listening. It has been my absolute pleasure. Until next time, remember, every volunteer has a story. What's yours?